Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Suitcase and the Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe, Mike McKenna. Looking good, my friend. How are things going in St. Louis this morning? How are you feeling? That's good. It's warm here. Uh, kind of going to be up into the 50s or 60s. We might get thunderstorms later, which is typical for what's going to eventually turn into spring here. But now in the wintertime, we get them. So, not uh, bad. You know, there was a lot of hockey last night. And... Uh, had uh, the ESPN plus flicker going in my hands, just bouncing between games and some interesting things that have happened and taken place since last time we spoke. So no shortage of things to get into. Scott, how are you? Things good in Atlanta, I would imagine. You're back home. So yeah, back all home good. In, yeah, I've got zero complaints. Nice here. Same thing. Got some storms coming up, but and and I'm with you, Mike. I'm so the the great it just seems literally every week you and I chat, okay, what, what's the news of the day? I mean, we, even though, and this is a great thing about the Olympics. I'm so glad we had Steve Wino on last week just to give us a sense of the vibe in Beijing. But even as we speak, team USA, the men's hockey team bounced um, from the competition after blowing a late lead against Slovakia and then losing in a shootout. As we're speaking, Canada and Sweden going at it to 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 see who will move on with the chance of the gold medal there. And uh, of course, tonight I already got the. I can't stay up that late. I'll be quite candid. It's hard for me to stay up that late. Got the recorder going. Women's gold medal game, Canada, U.S. Maybe that's a great way to start. I now for the your girls, it's probably late for them too. Even though you're on Central Time. Is there an excitement about it? Is there what's your what's your sense of uh, of you know what should be yet another thrilling chapter to you know to me one of the great sports rivalries, a uh, uh, pan sport, not just hockey across the sporting landscape, Canada, U.S. women's hockey. This is as good as it gets. Yeah, and it's. I wish there was the excitement in my house. So I can't get my girls to watch hockey. You know, they're six and almost nine and yeah, they just don't have the interest in watching. They like to play, yeah. but getting them to sit down is, is tough. And you'd think that wouldn't be the case for women's hockey on this stage. To me, it's been the highlight of the Olympics. I, I the men's tournament, honestly, Scott, I just, I just don't care. I, and I can't stand saying that, but it's, 
it's so different too because we got our I got my day job with the NHL here. Really, that's the, my main focus. You know, there's a lot going on there, and now you've got the Olympic tournament at the same time as that. It's just it's like too much, and the men's game without the intrigue of the NHL players. It just doesn't have that it factor for me. Whereas the women's game, this is the pinnacle. You know, this is the best of the best USA versus Canada for the 30,000th time. We're going to see who's the best team this year. I'll, I'll be like you, though. I'm, I'm usually in bed by 10 o'clock, 1030. I can't stay up. So it will be on the DVR um, or whatever we call that via streaming these days. But yeah, it's it's intriguing because in a game like that, in a series like that, all it can really take is one big performance from a player or a goaltender to win a gold medal. That's the craziness of these tournaments. And you just never know. There's so much intrigue. I feel, you know, Scott, I feel like in a seven game series, more often than not, the best team wins. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. And you go to tournaments like this, man, and chaos can reign supreme, my friend, right? Yeah. There's no question. Well, and I wonder, so, you know, for me, and I've been, you know, you follow along some of the reporting and, and again, it's, you know, maybe it's much ado about nothing. And the fact that we are at this point, as we seem to, well, I think every time, but one, and I believe that was 06 and, and Torino when the Americans got knocked off by Sweden, I believe in the semifinals, but it, it seems inevitable. Like, I'll do Thanos. It is inevitable. But is that okay? Like, are you troubled by it? I saw some, you know, some reporting. Oh, maybe there shouldn't be women's hockey at the Olympics. Which, honestly, I don't even get where that comes from. But is there? Does it matter to you as a hockey person, someone who, you know, you're engaged in women's hockey, you understand the grassroots part of it, um, but you also understand the greater scope of the game? Does it matter that it's Canada U.S. again? Because um, I think you know the competition has been good, but it's it's still. Canada, U.S., and then a country mile to the next. But maybe that's – you just have to – that's okay. That's part of the evolution, or are, are you troubled by it? Well, did they get rid of slalom skiing when Alberta Tomba wiped the board for 35 years straight as the greatest skier to ever live with the most amazing name, punching flags coming down the hill? Good call. They didn't get rid of that event, did they? Because of Alberto Tomba. No. There's two teams that can win. Man, I'm, I'm so sick of this. I, honestly, I think we just struck a chord. Listen, now I'm awake. <laughs> there are events in the Olympics that probably have less than 200 people in the world doing them. They're right. making up competitions. It's like, hey, man, snowboarding, let's make a course down the hill. This should be an Olympic event. That hasn't existed for more than like maybe 10 years, and you send them one at a time for a time trial down the hill, and that's an Olympic event. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you can't just walk out the back door and go, like, grab a board and go down a bobsled run on your on your snowboard, man. Like, that's so specialized. And we're going to compare that to a sport that's played. Women's hockey must be played by, at bare minimum, tens of thousands of, of women worldwide. Truth. Hundreds of thousands of women worldwide. Okay? And we're going to, and there's talk that, it shouldn't be an Olympic event. What do you have to strive to if there aren't teams that are at the top of the mountain? Do you just want parity in this life? Do we just want to have everybody to have a chance? Do we not want to have goals and aspirations and things to shoot for and improvement to find if you're a country that sucks right now? (sighs) 
<clears throat> I'm just, I, I guess there's my answer. I, I, there's sports in winter Olympics that have been created in the last like 10, 20 years. And I'm just, I'm sorry, man. There can't be a lot of people doing them. And to take away a sport that's played by so many people on the grand scale that provides thrilling entertainment. You can't get rid of that. Are they crazy? Who thinks like that? I'm with you. I'm totally so glad I asked because now I feel enthused. I I feel your passion, my friend. All right. All right. Let's. I didn't really expect that visceral response. It just came from deep within. I'm afraid you got like a shot. It was like electroshock therapy. That was good. Ah. Uh, All right. So talking about let's go. Uh, um, there's so much to talk about with the Vegas Golden Knights. It's such, oh and what an important God. day. You know, what a great day. What a great day for Jack Eichel. A great day for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think it's a great day for hockey. And I think there's a certain amount of trepidation as we await uh, Jack Eichel's first game with the Golden Knights. <clears throat> first game since having uh, disc replacement surgery. Um, you know what? I, 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 I'm not a doctor. Don't even play one on TV. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not worried. Doctors seem to think he's ready to play. But are you, is there a sort of anticipation about not just how does he fit in with the Golden Knights and what kind of impact, but it, it's a surgery that's never been done on a pro hockey player before or at the NHL level, certainly. How he will react. Will he be okay? Because it's a, he plays, the way he plays his game, he's in the traffic. Are you worried at all, or what's your, what are you looking forward to about Jack Eichel and the start of the Eichel era in Vegas? You know, I'm going to trust the doctors here. If they say he's ready, at some point you got to go. And yeah. he may be the first one, but Tyler Johnson's also just had this surgery with Chicago right. Blackhawks. He'll be eventually back from it as well. It feels like this is new frontier in hockey that's going to probably be normalized over time. It's happened in other sports, contact sports previously. Yep. What I'm curious to see is how Eichel handles traffic, how he handles a team like Colorado that is really hard on pucks, that wins board battles, that possesses the puck a lot because they go after it hard. And I wouldn't call Colorado the heaviest team on earth, but they're engaged. That's why they have that puck. I mean, Landis, God, Kadri, McKinnon, all those guys, all the top names on that team are puck hounds. And I I think for Eichel, that's where – I'm curious to see the board battles. I'm curious to see how he, he trusts his body to go in with, with mildly reckless abandon that you have to have to play at the edge in the NHL. Like you have to be able to, and willing to put your body on the line a little bit. Uh, and, and this is big time stage here, Scott. This isn't Tuesday night in Buffalo in front of 4,000 fans. Yeah, it might get more might get more than four thousand if, if it was in Buffalo. But I'm just well. Saying. That's that's a good point. I probably picked the wrong team to pick on there. Arizona in front of Arizona, on a Tuesday. Arizona, fair enough. Yeah. Jeez, I'm just just kicking teams when they're down. Uh, but this is the big stage. It's national television in the United States. It's Vegas versus Colorado, which are two teams that everybody has picked in the West early in the season and through a lot of it as being the top dogs. I'm sure Calgary and Minnesota have something to say about that right now. But this is it, man. And he's going to probably take that opening face off and look down the, the other direction and see Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and a whole host of players that are going to create problems for him. Yeah. So 
I'm fascinated for it. I'm thrilled, though, that Jack Eichel's back playing. It's been almost a calendar year since he's played many meaningful hockey. You just think about him from the personal aspect, man. Like, you just want to play. Yeah. And he's been through this whole process that took way longer than it should have. And he's back. So I'm happy for him. Um, I'm happy, honestly, for Golden Knights fans who finally get to see the prized possession that's supposed to cure all ails and be the centerman that drives tr- drives play and drives the power play and gets them over the hump. But Scott, how are they going to do it when they're missing Mark Stone and Martinez is still out and White Cloud and a lot of these pieces and looming salary cap complications because Mark Stone has been placed on long-term IR, which of course raised a lot of eyebrows around the league. Now Mark Stone does have a back condition that needs to be fixed. He is legitimately injured. Uh, our own Frank Cervalli said generative, which makes me really nervous for the player and the person. But man, if he comes back the first day of playoffs, people are just going to go, this can't happen every year, even though it can by the rules. So the long-term IR, though, Scott, it buys time for the Golden Knights. He could come back earliest mid-March is when that could happen. Yeah, And that's just a couple weeks in front of the trade deadline. So, Scott, I'm not sure where Golden Knights are headed, but there's still an awful lot of moving pieces and question marks with that team, and we're over halfway through the season, isn't it? Well, it's, I mean, there are so many layers to it, and we haven't even touched on the fact that their number one goalie is out. And what are the Knights going to do about that, if anything? What is Robin Leonard's status? I, I want to circle back to Robin Leonard and you know uh, some of the moving pieces related to that specific position. But I, 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 gotta, I have to tell you that I'm listen. I, I there, there's a reason that the cap system set up the way that it is. There's a reason that there's LTIR. There's a reason that teams, you know, and teams should have flexibility, right? If you don't have, if a player's out long-term, there should be some relief against the hard cap to be able to ice a competitive team and to do all those things. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I wish we could get Dougie uh, Hamilton's uh, view on the Vegas Golden Knights salary cap situation. Of course, he made his feelings well-known at the end of uh, Carolina's playoff series against uh, Tampa last year. And of course, you know, and I guess this is, this becomes an issue for the league. I think in terms of the optics, how do you continue to communicate, not just with the teams, like my understanding, you know, remember asking deputy commissioner Bill Daly, this very question last year, you know, as it related to Tampa Bay, what, what does the league do to make sure that teams aren't parking players warehousing players to save you know to protect against the cap um un- until the playoffs when the cap doesn't matter and you're right you know Kucherov comes back in the first game of the playoffs and you know he looks like the best player in the world and he you can argue that he is so right. <laughs> it does the same thing happen this year you may raise the point Mike what happens if Stone goes back and they wanted the first round of the playoffs against let's call it the Edmonton Oilers for just for argument's sake is that how does that happen? And I think that it's it behooves the league to be very transparent moving forward about how they are monitoring a player's recovery. And it's not just Mark Stone; it's Alec Martinez, as you mentioned. You know, because when Alec Martinez is ready to come back, that creates problems for GM Kelly McCrimmon, and he has to sure. adjust adjust his lineup to that. <clears throat> so, to me, the league, if there's a mechanism to say. 
you know, as they are, as we understand it, checking in regularly with the doctors, having their own, you know, requesting doctors reports, making sure that a player that is on LTIR is hurt and he's not eligible to play. And I think that's a real issue for the league. I think it's, listen, it's not going away unless you change the rules of the cap, but you have to make sure for the, the sake of competitive balance and the optics that this is fair. And I mean, I think about, you know, how much money is now tied up in sports betting around the NHL. Every team seemingly is connected to some sort of betting app or company. You got to be very clear and very transparent that you are watching all of these situations very closely to make sure that teams aren't gaming the system. And it wasn't just Tampa last year. Montreal went through a similar situation with players on IR and, you know, trying to, you know, figure out what, how they were going to, to work against the cap. Like, are, are you troubled by it or do you trust the league to do what's right? There's no, there's no, the, the, what the league doesn't care about Tampa and Kucherov. They don't care about, Mark Stone and Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights, they care about the optics. So it's not like there's no conspiracy, but are you, do you, are you concerned about how this continues to play out? You can't put the genie back in the bottle. This is going to happen every season until this loophole is closed or fixed or stitched up. Because why not? If you're a general manager, your job's to win. And how do you do that with every competitive advantage you can possibly use? That's what you should do. If you don't do that, you are hurting your team. Okay. I, I look at it this way, you know, for years there were people who would complain endlessly about goaltending equipment and the size of goaltending equipment. And this guy's a cheater. His gear's too big. Look at his gear. And every piece of gear is measured and goes through the league offices. Nobody's cheating. But people would always scream and yell and brand He doesn't need to. He could use smaller gear. He's a cheat. No. I always thought that if I didn't wear the biggest gear I possibly could, that I was hurting my team. This is not a selfish endeavor. This was not me cheating. This was me playing right up to the edge of the rules and giving our team the best chance to win by being the best, the biggest goaltender that I could. And this is no different than taking advantage of of a salary cap that's got a it's a it's a flawed rule in the book the way it's written because it doesn't protect against this but it's collectively bargained yep and you know you brought up dougie hands and i've said this before but man if you want those contracts to keep rolling in with the big dollar figures you need comparables and you need a lot of these contracts with big dollars and when you go above and beyond the salary cap league-wide when those numbers are there you're just pumping up the, the salaries across the board that's what's happening here in the league. Like it's helping the players out in their bottom line. So if you want to get rid of this, dude, go right ahead and go in there and say, hey, we do not want to make more money. We want a competitive playing field because we're sick of teams coming in and doing this. And you know what they're actually sick of? They're, they're sick of other teams' general managers outsmarting their general manager. Yes, I'm sorry, general managers out there, if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but that's what's happening here because you're getting outgamed if you don't take advantage of this at this stage of the game. And you can't control injuries. You don't know when people are going to get hurt. You really don't. Yep. Yeah, well, it, that, but this I mean, is reality. That's the thing. Like, and I'm, I, 
absolutely players should not be playing if they are not physically able to play. And it's just, I, I just, I, I know the league is on, on top of this. There's, there's no reason for them not to be right. Like it's not right. like they're, they don't care. Right. So you have to believe that the league is on top of this. And yes. That- and I want to be clear there. I think the league absolutely cares hundred percent. I, I really think they do. I just think it's so hard to police this. Yes. You're talking about medical records. You're talking about, like, what are they going to do? Walk in and observe a doctor looking at the guy's back and go, yep, that looks kosher to me. We're good to go. Like, that's not how this works, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, and I guess that's ultimately if the, if at some point, you know, same thing, we'll go back to Kucherov. If at some point, you know, when he was on the ice and skating, you know, where is that? Where, where there is, you know, the doctors agree. Yes, he can go to, you know, the progression, even for Eichel. You can go from skating, you can go to contact. Now, now we believe he's cleared to play. Well, if the Tampa doctors don't clear Kucherov to play, if you're the league and you're saying, well, no, we think he should play, so he must play, man, that's a slippery slope if you're, <laughs> you're, you're, going, to, <clears throat> if you're going to trump a team's doctor and force a player into action. Cause that's what you're talking about, right? You, what you're basically yes. saying is the league at some point stepping in and saying, we don't believe you. We think you're gaming the system and that player is going to play or that player now counts against your cap play mm-hmm. them or not, but you'll have to make adjustments. And that's, you know, th- that's a, I, I don't know where you get to that point, but yeah. in theory, that's what should happen. Right. I mean, that should happen. If the league believes, well, wait a minute, Alec Martinez, he's recovered from this injury he should be in the lineup or he should be eligible to be in the lineup. So we're going to, we're going to impose our will on it, man. That's a, it's a tough one. So I, but I, I and I want to, so the whole, it's not even, we're not even done with Vegas. We do two hours on Vegas. Robin Leonard is, is not able to play. He's not in the lineup. Kelly McCrimmon, right. I know talked to reporters in Vegas uh, about a, a number of issues, but also, you know, Robin Leonard's not going to be in the lineup. Our, uh, our own Frank Cervalli, the, the, the mighty leader of Daily Faceoff, had a report indicating that, that Vegas had explored, at least on some level, the idea of, well, what do you do if Robin Leonard's out long-term, which may be the case, how mm-hmm. do you replace him? And is Marc-Andre Fleury an option there? Now, Kelly McCrimmon insisted that's not the case, that they're not, that's, they're not interested. In my mind, if you're the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, and Robin Leonard is out long-term, and you're not considering all of your options, which would include Marc-Andre Fleury, who plays on a team in Chicago, it's not going to make the playoffs and coming to the end of his contract, then you're probably not doing your job properly. Okay. Um, what, do you, like, what do you make of the whole goaltending situation? It, it's been a nonstop soap opera in some ways in Vegas for a long time. I hate to say it, but if they didn't make the trade for Robin Leonard, none of this has ever happened. And, and yes. that's the reality of this situation because everything went in the blender the moment he was acquired. Yep. And, and I think that for whatever reason, maybe it was because of the Golden Knights meltdown against the San Jose Sharks in playoffs several years ago where they allowed three goals on a five-on-three and ended up losing after a bad call against uh, Joe Pavelski, I, I guess, right, when he was yeah. bleeding out the head on the ice. and. Yep. I just always look back at that and I, I've never felt like Pete DeBoer trusts Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah. And that was the basis of why Robin Leonard ended up being the starting goalie when they were teammates a lot of it. And I don't know. That's me guessing. I really have no clue. 
And can they win with Robin Leonard? Sure they can, but they need a healthy Robin Leonard. That's the problem. He's not healthy. I mean, Frank Cervalli reported he's got a torn labrum. That's not a joke. Like, I don't know how you play through that. Like if it needs surgery or if you need rehab constantly, that's really difficult to do. And obviously if their Golden Knights are asking around, they think that this is a potential problem. Because otherwise you're looking at Laurent Brassois and Logan Thompson combined, I believe, zero playoff starts. And Brassois has actually been really good for them this year in some games. Um, Thompson has upside. He's on, he's just, he'll have a three-year deal after next, after this season, first year two-way, then two years of one-way after that. But, that's not who they're looking at to carry that team to the Stanley Cup as those two goaltenders. And if you don't look to here's what here's how I look at it as would Mark be available? That's inquiring. That question right there is inquiring. Simple as that. Um, so that had to have taken. How can you not at least ask? Because the intrigue would be there. There's there are goalies I think that fit the bill for Vegas if necessary. A lot of them are repatriations, though, for George McPhee, Semyon Varlamov, Braden Holtby. Like, these are the types of goalies I could actually see fitting there. But the funny part is that Washington Capitals are also reportedly been looking for goaltending as well. Yep. And again, you've got people out of the Capitals' old pipeline. So Vegas, if, if Leonard's out long-term, they're going to make a play for a goalie. There's no way they don't. Yeah, I can't see it. But man, you talk about even further cap implications. Like any starting goalie out there is going to be four, five, six million bucks, seven if you're Flower, and you can't retain any. You can't retain any salary of Flower coming back because it's within yeah, a year. Yeah. Not that that's Kelly McCrimmon shot it down. It's not happening. Um, but dude, was that ever intriguing? Like I could. You, I don't think it's even worth arguing about it because it seems like that has passed, but. I could not see Mark Andre going back to Vegas after the way that went down. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's got a huge heart and he could have, but the vindictive side of me, man, I would have had a really tough time doing that. You know? Well, here, I mean, you know, to me, the whole Mark Andre Fleury thing is so, it's so fascinating. Right. I mean, you know, there was, there was a lot of discussion whether he might just hang them up as opposed to going to Chicago. Right. I mean, that's a, that was a legitimate thing. And, and, and it's, yeah. you know, there's been some ups and downs to this, Chicago's not very good, right? I mean, they and they, you know, they're they're just they're a team at a different place in their evolution. And I think Marc Andre Fleury has been really good the last what month, two months? Oh, several months, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once he got really his, once he kind of got his bearings in Chicago, Jeremy Colleton <laughs> was let go, and Derek King took over. They've been a little, little bit better defensively, bit better. but a lot of it's been Marc Andre Fleury. He's been exactly. really good, and so I think there's. And, you know, like we talk about it, it, this is the fascinating part, right? March 21st is going to get on top of us. We're going to talk about Tyler Toffoli because I, to me, I'm, I'm curious your take on not just the trade, but the, you know, the implications, because sometimes there is a domino effect when the, you know, GMs are like, okay, wait, wait, you know, you got to wait as long as you can against the cap. But sometimes when it happens, then it starts to happen for lots of teams. The levy breaks. The levy breaks. A little Led Zeppelin there, eh? That's right. I throw that in there. It's, you know, I thought you'd pick up on that. Yeah, there you go. But like there are, well, let me ask you, you mentioned the Washington Capitals. We know Vegas for sure. If Robin Leonard's injury is, is going to keep him out. And, and really, honestly, I think you have to now look about the durability. What, what happens in the playoffs if he, if he can't go and is Laurent Brassois, is that enough? And my, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. 
so, but there are a number of teams, you know, what does Edmonton do? You know, the Oilers now can't lose under Jay Woodcroft, <laughs> you know, Mike Smith, they look better. he's healthy, you know, uh, um, you know, so are, do you see, let me put this way. I'm going to actually ask a question. Do you see coming. Marc-Andre Fleury on the, on the move by March 22nd? Is Marc-Andre Fleury wearing a different jersey than the Chicago Blackhawks jersey he currently wears? My gut feeling all along has been no. I don't, I can't foresee a situation arising that would be amenable to Marc-Andre Fleury deciding to go away from his family for another couple months like he did in the bubble. He's repeatedly said he does not want to do that. Yeah. I just can't, I can't, I can't see that. The only one, only one that I could see it happening is if Tristan Jari goes down with an injury in Pittsburgh. Yeah. That's it. That's the, that's the only way. That's the only one that I see Marc-Andre Fleury going and being excited about. Because I think that's, that's the level of it is he needs to be excited about. Like, I've watched his last several games in Chicago, and yeah, I mean, they've gotten throttled a few times. But, man, he's still smiling. He's obviously still enjoying it. I think that he just – the optics of it to me is that he's really found peace with his current situation. And that, hey, man, it's me against the world. What do I have to lose here in Chicago? Let's have some fun. Who knows what could happen? That's what it looks like. Yeah. And that's his focus. And I think in my heart in, in my heart of hearts, I just don't see – a situation arising that excites him enough to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do this because he, he's written his legacy. He's won three Stanley cups. He's one of the hall of fame. He's a hall of fame. No question. Like <clears throat> it's gotta be a legit chance. And, and I also think there's implications even for like next season, you know, like what's he's still playing at such a high level. I'd be so surprised if he didn't want to play again, you know, yeah. I, I know I'm going further down the road with him, there, but I, I, I'm curious how many, I guess it kind of comes down to this. How many teams do you want to play for in the span of like three, four years? Cause I've been there before later in my career and it sucks to move around all the time. Yeah. You just want some certainty. And that's what he thought he had with that contract in Vegas. When he was promised by Bill Foley that you will retire as a Vegas golden Knight. Yeah. And that's been out the window. So do you want to play it's for four teams out, in three years? It's only out the window if he doesn't go back there. Well, I guess I guess you're right. I just get it could happen. <laughs> so I tell you what, it's it's gonna be really interesting with Vegas end of story. I mean, if they have to move somebody, they're gonna have they got a couple options, but if it's if it's the Donald, they're gonna have to pay somebody to take that contract. If it's Riley Smith, they can probably get something for him. Yeah. But they don't want to move either of those guys if they can't. So I thought I thought your points earlier uh, that you brought up about the Toffoli trade were we're really spot on about how now we're, we're seeing the levy go. Maybe this is going to be the first bit of movement a little over a month out from the trade deadline. That's going to kick things into gear. And I look at it, not as much, even for the Calgary flames, you're getting a great score, a proven score in Tyler to You can kill penalties. You can play really through the top three lines. I could see chemistry working in Calgary fits that Billy adds some offensive talent really for, Pittance. I mean, to, to coin it, Tyler Pitlick goes the other way. And I love Tyler Pitlick, but not much was going on in Calgary this year. He had two points this season. So Calgary upgrades, but it's also the first movement for Ken Hughes in Montreal, yeah. the GM. And I, I like this deal from both sides because I, I think that Montreal's getting a nice package in return. They get a really good prospect that they like in Heinemann, who's playing overseas right now, first and a fifth. Yeah. And, y- you know, you, you Calgary, from their respect, they get a player with some term that's played under Daryl Sutter before, played with Sean Monahan and juniors. 
Like there's a lot of synergies for Tyler Toffoli. Scored his first game last night on a 60 degree lob wedge pass by Johnny Goudreau. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like your take on it, Scott, because I, I like this deal for both sides. I think it was well done, well crafted, well thought through from from both angles on it. Yeah, no, I I, I like it uh, same way. I talked to a couple of executives yesterday, and they <clears throat> same thing, and they're like, "You don't have to." We always love to do this, right? Winners, losers, yeah. grade them. It's 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 what we do. Um, but I, I, both executives I talked to were like, "Nah, totally love this for both sides, right?" Like, if you're you got a first round pick, you got a prospect you like, you got a fifth round pick, you you know you got to. You, you gotta, you have to do something in Montreal, right? And this is the start of it. And now you, we'll see what happens with Ben Sherrod, and we'll see what happens with Jeff Petrie. Um, but that's pretty, and it sets the bar. I, I like to look at it. Uh, listen, uh, that Calgary team always confounds me because I don't, you know, they're sort of like, oh yeah, the Flames. They they should be good, right? They should be good. Well, they are now. <laughs> they are good now. And I, I give all kinds of uh, credit to Brad for living because, you know, there's a GM that that's, it's a weird market, right? You know, the arena thing is off the rails and it's just a weird market. And they don't have, like we know in Edmonton, right? Pe- that Edmonton market is up here and the Calgary market for some reason is here. And, and I think the opportunity for um, to fully to go in, a month ahead, even more than a month ahead of the trade deadline, it's just so smart. I know teams; some teams can't do it, right? If you if you're up against the cap, <clears throat> you may have to wait till two fifty nine Eastern on the twenty first to make a deal to make it work against your cap. I totally get that, but if you can do a deal now and you bring in a player and you give him time to, especially a skilled player, it's so much harder. Mm-hmm. I think of Jim Rutherford back in 0506. He makes two moves. He makes a move early to bring in. Am I going to get them in the right order? Brings in Dougie Waite early. And the Canes. To the Carolina early. Hurricanes, right? Yeah. He's Jim. Carolina. Dougie Waite gets hurt. And then he brings in Mark Recchi at the deadline. But I just, I remember just having this conversation with Jim Rutherford over the years. If you can do the work early, do the work early. It's just so much better for you. And, and I'm curious to see now if, if the GMs who have a little bit of flexibility against the cap, like the Rangers, like Minnesota, you know, are, do those teams then start to maybe ramp it up? You, because a guy like Claude Giroux is, you know, his cap hit at North of 8 million takes some maneuvering for lots of teams, but if you could do it, the sooner you can do it, the better it is for your team. I think, do you, do you buy any of that? Totally agree. And I think, you know, Rutherford was, it was, it was his MO for so long was, hey, set the market, man. Here we go. Let's get it done early. And, and for the reasons you mentioned, it makes a lot of sense because you do. I've been on teams that influx of players to the trade deadline, and it's tough, man. Like it's a sprint to the finish, and it might take you into playoffs before you start to gel. Whereas if you do it in January, February, in advance of it, you get a little bit of runway and you start to figure out how that player fits within your lineup because it may not be what you think. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could pick up a like, look at Jeff Carter last year for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They picked him up thinking, you know what, probably play some third line wing force. Maybe he'll take some face offs. Well, he's back at center for that club a lot. You know what I mean? He's turned into third line guy and with a bit of longevity to them. You got to be able to mold your players in some ways. Yeah. And so I, and, and I think there's a big factor to this for GMs to think about as well is that you don't want to lose your asset to injury. I mean, Sherratt, 
out for a week or two, it makes you nervous when you're a GM and you're sitting on an asset that if that player gets hurt, yep. I mean, it's like parking the old truck in the, in the yard saying you're going to fix it. And 20 years later, there's weeds growing around the thing. It just doesn't happen. You don't get anything for it. And that's a real worry if I'm a general manager. And I mean, you mentioned Brotherford. I mean, he's sitting on JT Miller out there who probably could be the King's ransom amongst this. And he's going to have that fine line of, do I, do I play that until the very deadline? Yeah. Because I do think the Canucks, it, 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 to some capacity, you want to keep that player if you can. But man, those offers are going to get bigger and bigger. It's a lot different dynamic for a team that's actually still like marginally bubble chance of making playoffs versus Montreal that you just sell, 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 sell. Because <laughs> Montreal's not done yet, man. Kent Hughes is going to be making more moves as this goes along in Stockpile. He's got 12 draft picks next year in the 20, or this year in the 2022 draft already. Which, where I is mean, the draft? Draft in oh, Montreal? It happens to be, we think at least, we hope, fingers crossed, in uh, La Belle Provence. Did I do that right? Yeah, very nice. Yeah! Let's, let's, hope, let's hope that uh, Daily Faceoff is well represented at the Montreal Draft. You know, oh, that'd be great. You don't notice how every week I lobby for us to go somewhere else. I, I don't know whether <laughs> Frank's listening, but uh, yeah, Montreal, that draft. Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, those guys, they could be exceptionally busy for a, a hometown draft. So, Good. Um, all right, hang on. You know what we're going to do at this point, which is what we always do, and sometimes I forget until the end, but take a brief break to remind people that DoorDash is a proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. That's always a subject that's uh, near and dear to your heart, my friend. So that's that's good. Um, What else? What else we got going on here? And what? Go ahead. Big big moment last night. Sidney Crosby, 500 goals. You know, we just talked to Little Penguins, Jeff Carter, and Jeff Carter has assisted, I believe, on two of those 500 goals that Sidney Crosby has scored. Um, but th- there was a really interesting tweet uh, yesterday that I-, I can't remember if the team put it out or who did, and it just listed all of the players that have assisted on Crosby's 500th goal, 500 yeah, came goals. From the, came from the team. I, from the was, team. I, I, could, I was, it was fascinating reading. And – I mean, some of the names that stand out, Lyle Odeline is on the list, you know, like it just really encapsulates the the length of his career. And when you start to look back at things, it brought a lot of memories to me in my own career thinking like I played with Mark Recchi and Marty St. Louis and Vanilla Cavalier early in my career. And man, Olaf Kolzig, even though he was hurt, was a teammate. Marty Brodeur, like, oh, it just, Sometimes these waves come over you that no matter how brief of a time you were a teammate with somebody, it still sticks with you that that was real. This actually happened in life. And, you know, Crosby's list is like, I mean, like, what, 80 players, 90 players, it seems like, that have assisted on his goals. Um, And Crosby, to me, isn't even a purebred goal scorer. and He's got 500 tucks in the league. I mean, he's just as all-around dynamic as they come. And I love, Scott, that it took place at home against the Philadelphia Flyers, even though I have such love for the Flyers. I never thought I'd say that uh, in my life. I do love that organization, but that rivalry, that just makes it cool to me. Yeah. You know, you've seen that firsthand, Scott. What do you, what do you think for Sidney Crosby? Do you think there's any validation with this? Do you think it was just, 
do you think it was a big deal to him last night? Because he looked happy about it, but he's just, he goes about his business and does his thing. Like, was it just another day in the life of Sidney Crosby? No, you know, here's, here's my thinking on this. And I'm, am old and I'm lucky. So <clears throat> I was at his first ever game in New Jersey, you know, did a visit to Nova Scotia when they won the cup in 09 and, you know, had spent, I've spent a lot of time with Sidney Crosby over the years. And it was great for me. I talked to his dad, Troy, um, last June for a piece on father's day, talking to different NHLers about their relationship with their dads and, um, and to see the image of, uh, Troy and Trina and Sid's sister and to see them in the crowd in Pittsburgh and celebrating that moment. And the thing about Sidney Crosby is he's the ultimate hockey nerd, right? He's, he knows, he knows, yeah, you know, if he asked him, he's not, I don't know if he's like, so Wayne Gretzky is, is similar. Like he remembers every detail of every game seemingly when you talk to him, but and I don't know if Sidney Crosby would have remembered every single person on that assist list or not, but my guess is he'd remember lots. But he would understand, as well as anyone, that what 500 goals means. It's 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 a huge deal, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it is the one of those markers yeah. in the 40 world. Forty something NHLers ever. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's it's basically you score that you're probably in the Hall of Fame. Well, you're good, not yeah, that he needs well, any more accolades. Right. <laughs> No, but so in answer to your question, again, I'm not presumed to be in Sidney Crosby's head, but my guess is that that would be exceptionally meaningful because he understands what it means, you know, in the broader scope of the game, in the landscape of the game. So I, my, I think it would be a huge deal and a huge deal, you know, with his parents and family on hand and a huge deal against Philly. Yeah. Like what? And they, they won the game too. They won the game. Overtime. I did the. So what? One of my favorite Sidney Crosby moments during the 2012 playoff series against Philadelphia. Create just an absolute zany series. Chris Goloff was in goal for the Flyers. Mark Andre Fleury had a really rough series for the Penguins. Officials missed an offside goal that Danny Briere scored. He was like five feet offside. Scored a goal as the Flyers came back to win in Game One. And I, I just remember these things. This series was off the charts, zany. Crosby fights Claude Giroux at the same time that Chris Letang fights Timo Timonen in Philadelphia. Timonen and Letang get tossed because it's the second fight on the same play. And during, I believe it was that game, there was some sort of melee. It might have been that exact same melee. And Jacob Voracek goes to pick up his glove. Crosby slaps his glove away. (laughs) It was just... So perfect. And in the, in the locker room afterwards, you know, people are, and the, I'm pretty sure the Penguins lost. And somebody said, why did you do that? And Sid was like, I don't like them. And <laughs> next day, I have the t-shirt upstairs. The next game in Philadelphia, there's all these orange shirts on every chair with a picture of Crosby. Guess what? We don't like you either. I like, it's, it's perfect, but I just, I, I love that. I love that. I, live for that. I, I don't like them. So yeah. they, it's a fun rivalry. It's a real rivalry. I love it. I live for that. Yeah. We had some interesting stuff around the league last night. Uh, you know, I had an eye on that Dallas Stars Colorado Avalanche game that took place on Tuesday evening. And the reason being is that Avalanche were just streaking, man. 
what, 19 straight games. They had a point, unbeatable at home. Well, here comes Dallas, a team that I'm not writing them off. I'm not. I can't, man. I mean, they're just hovering right around wildcard spot, and they're streaky. If there's any team with upward mobility in the West, I still think it's them. Yep. Totally. And I, I just, you never know. Like, and they come in and they beat the Colorado Avalanche on home ice in Denver four to one last night. And this is the second time this year the Stars have beat the Avalanche. They've beaten them in both games. It's just intriguing to me because they're giant killers. Like they can play so pedestrian against the worst teams. And then they walk in against the avalanche and they could beat them. That was a great game from Jake Ottinger. Fantastic game from Ottinger. Yeah. But man, does a game like that ever have the fingerprints of Joe Pavelski on it? And man, are they going to be in a pickle if Dallas is like two points out of a playoff spot right at the trade deadline. Because what do you do if you're Jim Nill? You want Joe Pavelski in your lineup if you make it, but if you don't, he might be, I mean, top three most valuable players out there at the deadline. Wow. I don't know how to predict how that's going to play play out, but I still have a feeling Dallas could do it, Scott. They could make it, and they could run again because they they have a will. And when they harness it and play to their potential, that team can be really good. I'm totally with you. I, I, I have zero sense of, cause you're right. Like, like, you know, you watch them, they play and they sort of, you know, they're not very good some nights and they look disorganized and you, and then like you say, they rise to the occasion and they beat good teams. And now they're on a bit of a heater and Jake Ottinger is the real deal. Yeah, he is. But you, but you also like, if you're Jim Nill, like these are the moments that, you know, these are the moments that are going to, in some ways, define the future of the club, right? I mean, you've got Joe Pavelski is at the end of his deal. Can you, you know, can you keep him at what price, at what term? That's a, because you've already got contracts that you, that you're saddled with, right? The Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben contracts are there. They are going to hamstring you for years. Just the reality of it. They're yeah, almost they're monoliths. They're not right? going anywhere. And you've got John Klingberg, who we've talked about on this show, also coming to the end of his current deal. Um, But if you're a playoff team, if you have Pavelski and Klingberg in your lineup, is there there any matchup that you aren't like, you know what? I I do not count the stars out of this, even if it's Colorado or, you know, whatever it is. I, I don't know what you do. I don't either. And that's going to be fun to keep track of because I don't have answers for it. I just will not count them out. And the other team I I watched last night and thought, there's some life here is Edmonton. I mean, three straight wins. Mike Smith, listen, if you just watch the highlights, that first goal that Mike Smith allowed last night looks terrible. That guy played a great hockey game. He's played two really strong games. Since Woodcroft took over and Skinner posted a shutout the other night where he didn't have a ton of work against San Jose, but his first five to seven minutes of that game that Skinner played were critical for Edmonton because they've gotten behind the eight ball way too many times this year. They allow a goal early. They spiral. They can't get it going. That was a huge game, not just because he had a shutout, because he played so well right early on. So Edmonton's gotten good goaltending for three straight games. They've won three straight games. 
Evander Kane's doing what Evander Kane was expected to do. Yep. Also just clobbered Lemieux last night with a left jab that if you're Brad Marchant would have gotten you six game suspension. Uh, <laughs> but I think Edmonton, listen, I'm not ready to write them in as saying this is for sure. Cause it's a bump with the coach and they have a tendency to go in the wrong direction. But I do think they're pressuring pucks harder and they're more aggressive, at least in, in neutral zone. And they look like they're wheeling a little bit more in the offensive zone. Like they're, they've kind of taken the shackles of toss it to the point and throw it to the net. We're going to be greasy off those teams to be gone. You have to empower those skilled players, even your depth players. Yeah. That's something I don't think that really was happening. I think the depth players were told to just be depth guy, know your role type of thing. Yep. And in this day and age, man, your third and fourth line guys are still a ton of skill. Like, look at Colorado, Tyson Jost, fourth line center. That guy's mega skill. Okay. Yeah. You got to empower your players to do that. And I just like seeing Jay Woodcroft smiling on the bench. I think that that's a factor. And it helps. Well, it, I mean, we, you know, we've seen it. And I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm curious to see. I don't know. Like, what's, they're not a lock, man, by any no, stretch, Edmonton. But this is encouraging for them. Uh, totally. And, and again, you know, I, I go back to, you know, we know what Bruce Boudreaux's impact was in Vancouver. And, and again, you, ta- you touched on, it. I mean, the sort of the joy of coming to work, right? Mm-hmm. You play in the game, have some fun, see what happens. We're, we know we're better than our record. You know, Vancouver's right there. Uh, big hill for them to climb. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah. Edmonton, I was looking at the same stand, like, where's Edmonton? Where? Oh, they're in third place now. In. Calgary in first place. Who? Maybe we do get a battle of Alberta first round playoff series. How, how magical would that be after all that's happened? You know, let's say Vegas finishes in first in the Pacific. I, I'm okay with Calgary Edmonton in that two, three spot first round matchup, but yeah, like it's, it's a lot of road to travel, but it, it, you know, listen, it's, I think the league is better when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the best players in the league, the league's better when they're in the mix, right? Like it just is. So we'll see. It is. And it's, I mean, to me, I, I still have the nostalgic draw to having strong Canadian teams. I think it's important for the league. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be all across the board. Every club in Canada makes the playoffs every year. We don't have to have that, but, you need to have something to root for up north. And, and, and realistically, like, as much as term, there's been turmoil, and even in Edmonton, Vancouver this year, like, you know, those teams are better in Ottawa and Montreal. Like, they're not atrocious. And you've got Calgary, that's there. Toronto, that's there. Yep. You know, it's not going to be every team. I think it's important. I think it plays well. And I think it gives Americans something to kind of gun for. You know, you still have your your xenophobia right <laughs> where it's you want your nationalism to come forth and, and take over and somebody to root for when it comes to cup time i like i like that dynamic i would love a maple leaf you know colorado final just for that aspect it'd be a lot of fun for me yeah uh all right one uh one final thing i just want to ask you about i know uh tomorrow the day after we're taping this episode NHL, NHLPA will be meeting. Uh, they're going to talk a little World Cup of Hockey. It seems almost certain now that we're looking at February of 2024. So two years from right now, we'll be looking at some form of World Cup of Hockey. I'm, I, I'm kind of excited to see. I know Bill Daly, I asked him about it in Vegas during the press briefing there and sort of alluded to 
you know, maybe something dramatic in the format and who knows, but like, are you, are you pumped for it? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of news comes, you know, in the coming days and weeks about what that might look like, because I think we're, you know, hockey fans are hungry. We talked about the men's tournament in Beijing and, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, I can't get enthused by it, but two years from now, maybe we're, we've renewed our love affair with the world cup of hockey. I, I hope it turns out that way. I hope so. And I, I would really like to see and hear something that really isn't progressive out of this in terms of what they want to do with the tournament itself and the teams. Like, I don't want a young guns and a team North America. Like Can't do I want this to be a proper tournament because I'm viewing the world cup in 2024 as being hockey's Olympics, because I'm still not certain that NHL ever goes back to the Olympics. I don't care what anybody says. I, I, there's so many moving parts there. I don't know. I think if the NHL and the players can come to an agreement on this world cup in season and pull it off and make it work, that this could be every two years, mortal lock for if it has to be, and they just run it in house and they say, we don't even need the Olympics because we have this. Yeah. And I think that's just reality because the IIHF and the Olympic committee, especially just, it seems like they're impossible to deal with. That's yeah. what it comes down to. So I'd love to see ter- proper tournament, proper teams. Yeah, even if you're, even if you don't think it field a great team, I mean, you're still there. Play the games. Let's see what you can do. Um, and I hope that the players really push to get paid on this. Okay. This isn't a charity thing. Like they want it. I think the NHL understands the importance of it. Make sure you get a chunk for the boys here. Yeah. Like you guys deserve that if you do this, because really the, the players are the one leading the charge here. And I'd hate to see them really kind of stick their neck out to make this happen. And then really, and then not get rewarded for it. Cause it's not, it's not the metal around your neck as much. Like it matters. You want to win that. It's going to be good hockey, but you also want a little payout for it. And that happened the last time. So I think that's important. But I just want a proper tournament. That's really all I want. It's simple, man. And I hope that they come up with a solution that shows that they can they can manage this. They can do it in a city that will be excited for it, which, I mean, we all say Toronto, <laughs> which is the logistical. I mean, it makes the most logistical sense. Yeah. Um, but make a big production out of it. Like, treat it properly. And that's why it needs to be planned out this far in advance. It can't be a shotgun wedding. It needs proper planning. I'm with you. I, I'm optimistic. I, you know, you know, I am too. Glass, glass half full, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see a lot of, get a lot of people to satisfy mm-hmm. when you do something like this. So it'll be interesting to see. And I, and I, I'm, I'm just imagining what kind of wrinkles they come up with. Again, I can't be made up teams, got to be real nation teams. That's the bottom line for me. And yeah. uh, hopefully we'll and learn love, more. You know, I'd love to see the championship or the final game or whatever played outside somehow. That'd be like the one caveat I'd have is make that last game, the championship game bigger than life. If you can pull it off, that would be really cool with you. All right, my friend. And once again, where's all the time go? Could go for another hour, but uh, right out the window. (laughs) Brother, always always good to catch up. Can't wait till we do it again next week, but uh, fine work by you as always. Same as you, and uh, I guess we'll be fixated to that television tonight, Vegas and Colorado on Wednesday night on national TV. Can't wait. No storylines. Great job, Scott. You too, man. 
Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.